Friends, like this morning's reading from the Heidelberg, the goal of 1 Peter, Peter's first epistle, is worship and praise. Not self-worship, not self-praise, but worship of our true and living God. The scattered Christians in what is now northern Turkey, modern-day northern Turkey, were suffering persecution and had become spiritually weary, as you can imagine. Through the preaching of the gospel, they had come to know God's great favor, but over time, over time, they were feeling the pressure, and it became increasingly difficult for them to stay focused on God and to worship God. We don't know what that's like at all, do we? So Peter writes to encourage this diverse body of believers with the astonishing yet easily forgotten truths of the gospel and their future salvation. Why? To fill them afresh with hope. In the first five verses of chapter 1, he sets them up on their feet and tells them what they need to do. They need to rise and bless God. They need to pull again on the anchor of their living hope, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They need to be reminded that the inheritance they are going to receive is so astonishing that there are not words to describe it. Peter can only tell them that it will never be destroyed, it will never be polluted, it will never be subject to decay. Finally, Peter affirms that this great future is kept for them, for us, by the power of God. Nothing on earth, no matter how difficult it may be, can shake it loose from the shake you loose if you are in Christ. God has promised, God has guaranteed, His word is true, and every man is a liar, right? God has promised every Christian an unfathomable inheritance in the eternal perfection of heaven that will one day be the actual experience of every believer, every Christian. Until then, we've got some good news to direct and guide us. This morning's heading, the title of our sermon this morning is, Our Christian Inheritance is Cause for Praise. If you're taking notes, Our Christian Inheritance is Cause for for praise. We are going to look at five motivations for praising God this morning. The whole goal of this is to help us get our eyes off of our circumstances, our fears, our health, our insecurities, our loneliness, and even our repetitive sin, and repent and turn to Christ and praise Him. I remember decades and decades ago, I was telling the elders this morning in our prayer, I remembered, uh, I remember an old guy who told me, John, never forget that a lookup is a hookup. In other words, don't forget to look up at God because you will be reconnected quickly. And I believe that praising God, especially for our Christian inheritance, uh, inheritance is vital to our strength and walk as Christians. Our first We have five this morning, five um, wonderful points to guide us. Number one, praise God for His great mercy. Are you doing that in your heart already? Go ahead. Praise God for His great mercy. Number two, praise God for our salvation. 
Praise God for our salvation. There you go. Praise God for Christ's resurrection. Praise God for our inheritance. And finally, praise God for our eternal security. I hope that's already resetting you to focus on God and encourage you greatly in Him. Friends, I'm going to read for you from 1 Peter, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 5, though we're going to focus in on 3 through 5 this morning. This is the Word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Let's pause for a moment of prayer. Lord, your word is indeed true, and we are here with all kinds of things going on in our hearts and our minds, and we trust you to sear these truths into our hearts, into our minds, into our responses to life. Lord, we ask now that you would guide us. Cause me to be clear and accurate and passionate with your truth, that you by your grace would save those here who need to be redeemed by you, that you would remind all of us to be focused on your truth in the gospel and remember who we are, humble ourselves and surrender our lives fully unto you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So, following his initial reading that we just read, and before he does anything else, Peter stops in verse 3 to do something. He starts with a word of praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter does not begin his letter by addressing hardship and suffering. That is certainly what he's going to do soon enough throughout the book. Nor does the apostle start off by giving them lessons on how they should conduct themselves as elect exiles. That comes a bit later in the letter. So why does Peter launch into this exaltation to praise God? Because Peter understands through a life of hardship and suffering the need to worship. He understands that worship is what a Christocentric, that is a Christ-centered worldview produces in one's heart, despite the harsh realities of life. Beloved, praise and worship occur whenever our mind takes hold of the astonishing truth about our triune God, because it quickens our heart with deep feelings of wonder, of gladness, and admiration, which then ignite in us an awe-inspiring gratitude. What does that look like in your life this morning? How's that going? That's an up and down, right? Just like all of us. But when that is hitting you right and you are inspired by God and what He is doing, what He's done and what He plans to do on your behalf by no effort of your own, 
What does that look like in your life? What does that look like in your life? Do you burst into something like, praise be to God? You know, you're using Scripture. You want to be holy, right? Praise be to God. Or maybe it's a fist pump and a yes, right? That God is just so pouring into you and into your heart that you can hardly contain yourself. Or are you like Peter from the very beginning here saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This first phrase that we see in verse 3 provides you and I with biblical perspective, the biblical perspective necessary in good times because we lose it and we forget about it. And in the hard times, and in suffering, we need to worship and praise God. We need to see His magnificence in our mind's eye. And we need to keep His wonderful greatness ever present in our hearts and minister to the hearts of those around us. We learned about mutual encouragement last week from Bobby Blakey. What a treasure of encouragement and truth he poured out to us. It certainly seems that this is Peter's perspective when he writes things talking about God's glorious grace, and we see more of that in the following verses. They are meant to cause our hearts to do just what we talked about. Let's see if they do. Now, in verse 3, as it continues, it is meant to move our hearts and our affections to stay steadfast. These, and, and understand, God's been doing this with 1 Peter for 2,000 years. As they read through, as we read through these wonderful things, that we might reach the boundless heights with these motivations for praise and praise God. Number one, praise God for His great mercy. We see it right in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's the praise. And why? According to His great mercy. According to His great mercy, what? We'll see that in a minute. But great mercy, understand, it's not just mercy, it's great mercy that we need, as we'll see. Great mercy is required because we sin against a great God, don't we? We have sinned, we sin, and we will sin. And when we're praising God, we're not sinning. We all love God's mercy, whether we know it or not. Because God's mercy means not getting the punishment we deserve for being sinners. Thank you for your mercy, Lord. Praise you for your mercy, right? Praise you for your great mercy. As you know, we began our journey through the Heidelberg Catechism at the beginning of the year, and it began with revealing our guilt before God. And so I want to tie in some of the Heidelberg as I go through the sermon to help us connect and see that they are using the Bible. The Heidelberg is using biblical truth to guide us and direct us in a practical way. So in the Heidelberg on question three, which would have been at the first of the year, the, first, one of the third question that came at us was, how do you come to know your misery? How do you know you need mercy, right? The answer, the law of God tells me. Next question, the very next question, question four, what does God's law require of us? What does God's law require of you and me? The answer, Christ teaches us in a summary, summary excuse me, in Matthew 22, 37 to 40. 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Summed up, that is what the law of God demands of us. But what about question five in the Heidelberg? Can you live up to this? Excuse me. Can you live up to all this perfectly? No. The answer is, I am inclined by nature, listen, to hate God and my neighbor. Right now you're getting sneers from your neighbor, right? Question six, did God create man so wicked and perverse? No. Answer, God created man and in his own image, that it is, that is in true righteousness and holiness, so that he might truly know God his creator, love him with all his heart, and live with God in eternal happiness for His praise and glory. But then there's question seven. Then where does man's corrupt nature come from? Answer, from the fall and disobedience of our first parents, Adam and Eve, in paradise. This fall has so poisoned our nature that we are all conceived and born in sin. Well, John, I didn't come here for this this morning. I want a warm and fuzzy. Well, if you don't know how nasty you are, you won't realize how warm and fuzzy you are as a Christian. All these facts, friends, are based in God's Word. These are facts. That is not. All these facts are based in God's Word and inform us there is no earthly reason, listen, there is no earthly reason, desirableness, or merit on our part to indicate why we should receive anything from God but His wrath. That's what we deserve. But as elect exiles, we have been given mercy. Praise God for His great mercy. Agreed? That's our first point under the fact that our, it's part of our Christian uh, heritage, right? Or inheritance. Now, the second motive or reason that our Christian inheritance is cause for praise is found in God's saving grace for us. Boy, are you, am I glad you're getting there right away, John. Seemed like forever. We see it in God's saving grace, and our second point is, praise God for our salvation. Blessed, verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He caused us to be born again to a living hope. Did you see that? It is God the Father who is the one who caused you and me to be born again to a living hope, a living hope of eternal life with Him in His presence forever. No more barriers to our worship. No more insecurity. No more fear. No more drama. No more scandal. No more guilt or shame. Question 8 in the Heidelberg. 
I didn't want to put it in the first part. I didn't want to overwhelm you, but I want to give it to you now. Question eight in the Heidelberg asks, but are we so corrupt that we are totally un, unable to do any good and inclined toward all evil? What do you think the answer is? Yes. Thankfully, there's a comma. Yes. Unless we, we are born again by the Spirit of God. Caused by the Father, born again by the Spirit of God. I want to read to you Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to turn there, I'm going to read 10 verses. So if you don't like the way I read, you might want to uh, follow along. Ephesians chapter 2. It's a letter by Paul to the Ephesians. And in verse 1 of chapter 2, he starts this. Starts with this. Writing to Christians. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind but god but god listen but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with christ by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated and seated excuse me and raised up with him and seated and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we, church, should walk in them. How do you not want to walk in them when you read things like that from Scripture, right? Did you note that it's all God's work? It's always been God's work. It's always been God's mercy. It's always been by God's grace. It's not our work. Remember, we are His workmanship, created to bring glory to Him, share the gospel, use our gifts, and love others. Only God can make you and I a new creation in Christ and call us to be a child of God, a new exile in this world, and an alien as this world passes by and passes away. Verse 3 continues, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. As I briefly mentioned in the introduction in 1 Peter, the apostle is brimming with gospel truth in order to build into us, certainly the first century readers, but every reader since, to be able to build into us a quick reflex of who we are in Christ 
and his promised living hope so we would soar high above suffering and hard times, difficult circumstances that face us in life, all while going about encouraging God's people who are also discouraged and may be entangled with the cares of this world, sharing truth with them and encouragement, not browbeating them and beating them down. We all know we're that bad. We need that to correct us, but then we need to be filled and built up. And we know these things can discourage us, and the cares of the world thwart our rejoicing. But remember Christ's finished work on our behalf, and you will be a mutual encourager, as we learned last week. Now, up to this point, in verse 3, the Apostle Peter told us that the power to arrive safely at our heavenly home and be with God, and of course one another, is deeply rooted in the mercy and grace that God gives us. But listen, it is cemented. It is cemented in one spectacular truth, a truth that doesn't change, can't change. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Praise God, number four, praise God for Christ's resurrection. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, the chosen one of God the Father, left His heavenly home and humbled Himself to live an exile-like life as an example to us, this kind of exile existence on earth, and then returned to heaven. We didn't start out like Christ. We started out as unrepentant sinners. But we are now exiles as a redeemed people, and we, because of the resurrection of Christ, will be with Him in our resurrected bodies forever in heaven. How's that for hope? So much for the ibuprofen. And loved ones, it is through Christ's resurrection from the dead and His ascension into heaven that every Christian has been born again to a living hope. A living hope. First Peter, later in First Peter verse, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, Peter writes this, and speaking of Jesus, he says, Jesus was forsaken before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you and me. Through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are where? In America? No. In your 401k? Nah. Retirement in your husband and your wife and your kids? No. That your hope is in God. And when you praise Him, those other things fall into place because your eyes are here on Him. What Peter is affirming to us is this. As elect exiles, the only cure, listen, the only cure for our, yours, mine, spiritual homesick soul is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, isn't it tough to watch the world the way it's going right now? It's tough, and we can get wound up. And if you jump on the news, you're going to get wound up further. Pretty soon, that's the gospel you're preaching. 
We're homesick. We're exiles. We want to go home. We're created. The Spirit of God lives in us that we would desire to go home and be with our King. I love that. Friends, do you see what Peter has done for us so far in this text? Have you seen it? Are you catching it? Just like his entire letter does, by God's grace, since the first of the century, Peter moves his readers from exile to the hope of eternal inheritance by the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I'm not dragging my knuckles and shoulders like this. I'm an elected exile, sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and so are you. Yeah, we have tough times. It doesn't mean we fake it. Don't be a fake Christian like, oh, I got my life all together. We already know you don't. Ask anybody around you, right? Just ask us. We'll tell you. Yeah, you're clueless. We'll help you. I'm clueless. Help me, right? Question number 45 from the Heidelberg. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? Good question. Three ways. First, the answer, by His resurrection, He has overcome death so that He might make us share in the righteousness He obtained for us by His death. Share in His righteousness. Second, by His power, we too are already raised to a new life. We ask the question, how does Christ's resurrection benefit us? By His power, we too are already, already raised to a new life. And number three, Christ's resurrection is a sure pledge to us of our blessed resurrection one day. How about that? Okay, great. Let's close in prayer. I use that a lot, I'm sorry. One writer put it this way, in showing the activity of God in the past, Peter helps his readers regain hope for the future. Let me read that again. In showing the activity of God in the past, Peter helps his readers regain hope for the future. Need hope? Read 1 Peter. Read Ephesians. Read Read the Word of God. The resurrection, friends, is all about God and what God has done and what God is doing and going to do. So trust God. Did you hear me? Whatever you're going through, trust God. Hope in God. Praise God for Christ's resurrection. We can hope in Christ and His resurrection and ours to come. Praise God for His great mercy. Praise God for our salvation. Praise God for Christ's resurrection. And now fourth, our fourth motivation for praise. Praise God for our inheritance. How many of you would love an inheritance? Oh, come on. Praise God for our inheritance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. A couple of decades ago, Lorna's grandmother passed away. And Grandpa knew that she had buried mason jars with cash in them. Uh, 
And so grandpa dispersed the cash to all the grandkids. Lorna, being a grandchild, received some of that cash. Uh, that, that cash wasn't doing so good in those mason jars under the ground. So you might want to dig that up when you get home or whatever it might be. It smelled bad. You know, you can only go to 7-Eleven and use it. I mean, it was one of those things where you just, you know, it was an inheritance, but eh, it was great, but man, grandma didn't know, right? We have an inheritance that we can be grateful for because it is imperishable, it is undefiled, and it is unfading. These are terrific words, aren't they? I'm not trying to be spastic up here. It's exciting. These are fantastic words to stir our hearts to praise, and Peter knows it. God knows it. The Holy Spirit knew it when he gave this to Peter to write and caused him to write these things. These are terrific words for stirring stirring our hearts to praise. Praise unto God for his bounty of blessings promised to us. Think about it. Every born-again believer for all time, their heavenly inheritance is imperishable. In other words, it's not subject to decay. It won't wear out. It will always be phenomenal. Our future inheritance is not only imperishable, but Peter tells us it's undefiled. This means that it remains clean and pure and unstained. All earthly inheritance is defiled, but not the undefiled heavenly inheritance that believers receive in Christ. It is flawless and perfect. Peter's third descriptive word for our inheritance is the word unfading. Unlike earthly wealth, it will never uh, lose its luster. It will never grow dim. Its batteries will never wear out. It will always be beautiful and full of God's glory because it's Him. He's our reward. Peter reiterates the unfading nature of the church's inheritance uh, in verse 4 when he uh, excuse me, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4, when he states, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Can you imagine? Praise God for our inheritance. Part of, these are all part of the inheritance that we are receiving. And this next one's important for us as well. It's vital that we know it. Praise God for our eternal security. This is our final motivation this morning. Praise God for our eternal security. Isn't it wonderful to know that we are being stayed by the power of God, that we can't lose a split second of it? Peter closes his look into salvation's future guarantee by assuring us that what God has promised rests secure. Verse 4 tells us at the end of verse 4 that it is kept in heaven for you. It is kept for you in heaven. Nothing's getting at it. Nothing can take it away. Who by God's power are being guarded. Wonderful. God's, God's guarding it, who by God's power are being guarded 
through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We only get tastes of it in the Word of God and, and, and communing together with the Lord and one another, right? But there is a final, wonderful, eternal security kept in heaven for us and guarded by God. That word guarded, by the way, uh, keep safe, kept safe is guarded. And that means carefully watched. There's an eye on our security. And it is frequently used in the military context. It is, it, is, it is necessary that we understand that it is kept for us in heaven. Our inheritance has God's eye upon it, and it's never going to be taken. This great promise, this great promise is being kept for us through God's eternal power, not our ability to remain steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because we're temperamental, we're insecure, we like people's approval, we like being in control, we love to exercise power over others, and yada, yada, yada. But God keeps us safe. That means that God Himself has stored up, reserved for us this inheritance in heaven for every believer, and it continues to be there. It is still reserved for believers our final question from the Heidelberg is actually question number one. You might recall it. What is your only comfort in life and in death, Christian? Answer, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. It is Christ who has fully paid all of my sins. It goes on. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Even red lights. Why? Because I belong to Him. Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. God has made you ready. Are we willing from now on to live for Him? To put away the things that need to be put away sold or given away, and do what we need to do for Him. I pray we are. I pray I am. You see, God did it, and God will get all the glory for it. He gets all the glory for your life. This is what Scripture declares regarding how we become recipients of this unfathomable inheritance. So, loved ones, in closing, we too must learn that hardship, listen, hardship is not outside of God's sovereign will for you and me. It's not. It is used by God to change us to become more and more like Christ, to get to the end of ourselves, to surrender all and be used by Him because many don't have what we already have 
and he wants us to use wants to use us to deliver that I want to end with a quote here it's a few sentences so follow along please our assurance of an un, excuse me let me start over from the very beginning good morning Our assurance of enduring hope is vital for us to remember so that we neither despair of God's commands to obedience, which as sinners we will struggle with, nor despair of God's allowing of suffering, which as frail people we may break under. Instead, we are empowered to obey, knowing that we are forgiven for all eternity. And we are encouraged to hope in God through hardship, knowing that our souls are infinitely secure. I hope that this morning has convinced you from 1 Peter 1 that our Christian inheritance is cause for praise. And that these five motivating factors are necessary to keep at the forefront of our minds and to be practicing. Praise God for His great mercy. Praise God for our salvation. Praise God for Christ's resurrection. Praise God for our inheritance. And praise God for our eternal security. Let's pray as we prepare our hearts also to celebrate who we are in Christ with communion, the Lord's table. Lord, we are a fragile people. (laughs) We are temperamental, we are whiners, we are complainers, and you have reset us, I pray. At least for the time being, we know that we are flawed and we are fickle. So we know that we must remind ourselves of who we are in you regularly and remind one another that we would use the law and your wonderful directives correctly by guiding gently and loving others, for we are guilty of all ourselves. But nevertheless, we need to be guided by your law and truth to keep us on the road to where we need to go. And Father, may our grace wash, your grace wash over us that your grace would wash over us and then help cause us to be used to, to minister to the hearts and minds and souls of, of course, the elect, your body, but also, Lord, to the broken who do not yet know you. Lord, we would ask that your gospel would be clear in our minds, that you are a holy and righteous God, as we saw this morning, as we've seen. Lord, and that we are simple, sinful, broken men and women who are desperate to be redeemed and in that state don't even really know it. But you sent your son Christ to live the perfect sinless life, a life we can't even fathom, and then be crushed for thankless sinners like us who weren't even redeemed yet and now are by your grace. We pray that your mercy would abound this morning, that your grace would abound, that you would open the eyes of every heart and mind, first for the Christian to be preaching the gospel's wonderful declarations to our own heart for encouragement and for the encouragement of others, 
and that you would make your gospel so clear in the heart of the unredeemed today that they would walk out of here, brothers and sisters in Christ, able to enjoy the wonderful inheritance that we have that is cause for our praise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.